Hello and welcome to Discipleship, The Hard Sayings. My name is Darren Laws and today we're going to take a look at a very familiar passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. They say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we profess to know Christ, these two verses should have a significant impact in our lives. They should push us to study God's Word, to know what it is that He expects out of us and what He's called us to. And they should drive us to live self-sacrificing lives as we give our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And they should also push us to strive for holiness and righteousness in our lives. So today we're going to take a look and kind of do a a brief overview of these two verses. Now we could spend weeks on these obviously or a lifetime even uh, learning and developing uh, what these two verses have for us but we're just going to kind of briefly go through them and and in order to do that we're going to answer just a few questions and one is who is Paul talking to? And what are these mercies of God in which he's talking about? And what does it mean to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice? And how do we do this? And how do we know what the will of God is? Paul's writing this letter to the church in Rome, which was probably founded after Pentecost in in Acts chapter 2 and verse 10 he tells us that among the crowd that was present when the Holy Ghost fell on the 120 that there was some from Rome present and some were converted and this church likely began then and Paul was writing because he had heard of their faith he tells us in in chapter 1 and verse 8 And so his purpose was to teach them the great truths of the gospel of grace. Uh, Because we know the Jews, uh, their salvation came through works. And as the salvation came to the Gentiles, it was told that salvation is by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. And so he's teaching them 11 chapters of sound doctrine. Um, And so the answer to the question to who is Paul talking to, the answer is clear in chapter 1 and verse 7. And he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So he's writing to those of the church in Rome, but he's also essentially writing even to us today, as we're called to be saints. So if you're born again, then this letter is for you. He's writing to the church, for the church. And so the book of Romans gives us an amazing doctrinal foundation. I would encourage you, if you haven't done so, to 
at least read completely through the book of Romans. Uh, do a study through the book of Romans as our foundations are found in this book. And it's an amazing book. Ephesians 4.14 tells us that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. We don't want to be deceived, so it's important that we dig into God's Word, that we study the Scriptures to know what it says, so that when we hear these things that these false teachers are trying to tell us, a red flag goes off in our mind, and, and we know we got to be like the Bereans in Acts 17.11. We have to search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. And so by the time Paul gets to this point in his letter, he's given us 11 chapters of sound doctrine so that we can fully understand the amazing salvation that God has so richly bestowed upon us. He now says to them, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In essence, because of all that God has done for you, 1 Peter 2.9 says that because He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, because He's called you from death to life, because of that, Paul saying, I beseech you, I urge you, I beg you, I implore you, and I exhort you. Why? Because of the mercies of God. Which now brings us to an important question of what are these mercies? Why, why are these mercies so important that, that Paul's taking such great length to urge us to do something? It's the very mercies that brought Paul to this awesome doxology that we read in chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, which say, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? For who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be the glory for ever. Amen. Just a couple of thoughts here on Paul's praise to our awesome God. Many today, they hear, let's worship they hear, let's worship God, and they automatically think it's time for the music to start or it's time to sing. But here we see Paul breaking out in this amazing doxology, praising his God because of the sound doctrine that he's been teaching us. When we look at God and when we have a view of God and the salvation that he's brought, the way he's brought it, we should want to praise Him in all that we do. It's not just singing that is worship. It's when we open the Scriptures, when we gather together as the body of Christ and the Word of God is opened, 
and the scriptures are expounded and we hear the truths of the scripture that's worshiping God when we sing praises to God that's worshiping God but even when we disband and go about our ways and we go to work we worship God through our work doing the best that we can do Corinthians 10 31 tells us whatever we do we do it all to the glory of God all of it our whole life is to be worshiped and that's in essence what we're seeing here in chapter 12 verses 1 through 2 we worship God with all that we do all of it and what are these mercies what are these mercies and to understand these mercies we're going to need to understand first of all what sin is we're going to have to know what makes these first 11 chapters so special to us and so important to us you see if we run around and we think we're good then we never have a doxology like Paul did if we run around thinking we're good we would never think that we need to offer anything to God much less our bodies as living sacrifices but I want us to take a look at Romans chapter 3 a familiar section of scripture in, in verses 10 through 20 and he says as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none that understands there is none that seek after God they're all gone out of the way they are together become unprofitable and there is none that doeth good no not one how many times do you hear people say well I'm I'm good I'm a good person well, according to the scripture there's none good no not one not one their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues they have used deceit the poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace have they not known there is no fear of God before their eyes and now we know that what things soever the law saith it saith to them who are under the law and every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God and therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin by the law is the knowledge of sin it's important that we understand a term that we use called total depravity we're not good we can't be good we can't be good enough to earn our salvation we can't be rich enough to buy our salvation there's nothing on this planet that we can do to be saved of our own selves nothing nothing at all Isaiah 64 6 tells us that all our righteousness is as filthy rags all of it everything we do apart from Christ is useless when it comes to our eternal salvation 
We must absolutely understand our hopeless, wretched, sinful condition. That left to ourselves, we are utterly hopeless. Utterly hopeless. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What a horrible place to be. But that's where we're all at. That's where we're all at until this wonderful gift of salvation. We're all without hope. We can't earn our salvation. We also read in Ephesians 2 1 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. Dead. And because of Christ, He made us alive. He quickened us to life. And being dead, there's nothing that we can do. We can't bridge that gap between God and us. We can't do it. Romans 3.25 But God being rich in mercy and grace is redeeming His people through Jesus Christ. In Romans 3.25 He says that God set forth or foreordained to be a propitiation. A propitiation. Romans chapter 3 verses 23 to 25 He says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. In chapter 1 we learn that the Gentiles are sinners. In chapters 2 and the beginning of 3, the Jews learn that they're sinners. And Paul sums it up in Romans 3.23 when he says, All have sinned. We're all sinners, every one of us, and we fall short of the glory of God. He says, But being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Through the shed blood of Christ, our mediator, the only way to bridge that gap between man and God is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody can come to the Father but through Him. Nobody. Our salvation is a gift. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has set, hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It is a gift. Salvation is a precious gift from God. And it's because of that gift we were once enemies with God that because of His gift of salvation we now can have peace with God. We're no longer His enemies. Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer an enemy. What an amazing statement this is to think about the fact that with our Creator, 
we're now at peace because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thought. Absolutely amazing. But we also have hope. We now have hope. We just read that we were once hopeless and without God. But now we have hope. Romans 5.2 By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have hope. We know that this is not it. But we now have hope of our eternal life with God. And we've been reconciled. Romans 5.10 tells us that for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We have a living Savior. And we have eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life. What a precious, precious gift our Savior gives. Free from condemnation. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And we have an intercessor and security in Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verses 34 to 39. He tells us, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. How amazing, how gracious, how merciful of a God to take sinners like us, like me, like you, wretched sinners, enemies, haters of God, the Bible tells us, and He sends His Son to die on that cruel cross for all those that believe upon Him. But praise God, He didn't stay in that tomb. He rose again. And He sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Let that sink in. Making intercession for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or a sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How amazing that nothing can separate us from our God. Nothing. We're in His hands and nothing can take us out of it. 
these are just a few of the mercies that Paul is talking about. When he says, I beseech you, I urge you, and I beg you by the mercies of God, because of this gift of salvation, because of the finished work on the cross, because of the empty tomb, because of the gift of eternal life for all those that believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of these mercies that we're compelled to live a faithful, obedient life. And it's because of these that we should give ourselves, as the psalmist says in Psalm 116, verse 12, What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? What shall I give to the Lord? Because of all that He's done for me, I should give Him all of me. All of me. Not just the bits and pieces I want to give, but all of me. Everything. Everything. And with that, this moves us on to the, to the next question of what does it mean to present our bodies to God as living sacrifices? What does that mean? And we'll answer that question next time. I think it'd be good for us to take a moment and to, to just really ponder and think about and meditate upon these mercies and about this great salvation that our God has provided for us. That if we know Him as our Lord and Savior, if we understand that we're sinners in need of a Savior, that God has a perfect and holy law and we can't keep it, we just can't do it. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. But by His grace, by His grace, He sent His only Son, His only begotten Son, to come and live. He lived a sinless, perfect life that we should live. He died the cruel death on that cruel Roman cross that we should have died upon. But praise God, on the third day, He rose again. He came out of that tomb, finishing a work finishing the work of salvation to all those that believe. It was finished. He then went up into glory and sat at the right hand of the Father where He still intercedes for all of His people. I think we should think about that. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'll be praying for you. And if you don't know Him, understand that He is a holy and just God who must punish sin. And all sin will be punished. It was either punished through Christ or it will be punished on the individual when he is cast into the eternal lake of fire for all eternity. All eternity. So I beseech you, let today be the day of salvation. Cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Beg Him for mercy. Seek Him with your whole heart, the Bible says, and you'll find Him. So my prayer is that you seek Him today 
and for those of us that know Him. I pray that we'd ponder on these verses and really reflect and examine ourselves and take a look at our lives. Are we giving ourselves as living sacrifices? Is Jesus Christ Lord of all of our life? Are we striving for holiness? Are we striving for righteousness? We know we'll never be perfect this side of heaven, but we're to strive to do so. Let this great love that our God had for us, let it compel us, let it drive us to be set apart for His glory, for His honor, not our own. And let it fill us with a deeper passion for the lost. Let it drive us to the streets to get the gospel to those who are dying, those who are hurting. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that You are the Creator and Sustainer of all things. We thank You, Lord, for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for the finished work of the cross, and we thank You for the hope of the resurrection, that the tomb is empty, that we serve a risen Savior. And God, I pray that You'd save souls as only You can. Give us a deeper hunger and thirst for the truth. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we'll pick this up next time. Until then, study the Word, and may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.